title of our sermon, I don't have a particular text. We'll be going to several texts this morning. The title of our sermon is Risen. He is risen. It's what we're focusing on this morning. It's why we have this day, Resurrection Sunday, to remind ourselves of the risen Lord. Memorials are a very important thing. In the Old Testament, God set up many memorials for His people. The Passover Supper, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was a memorial. A memorial of when God passed through Egypt and Israel was spared. The firstborn of every house was spared if they followed the Lord in faith by putting the blood over their doorposts. When they entered into the land of Canaan, God told them to set up twelve stones, a memorial of God's goodness to each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Memorials form an essential link between the past and the future, between us and that which has gone before us. To understand where we have been is to understand where we are and to understand where we are going. To remember past victories encourages us into future faithfulness. And so today we we have this memorial, the memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not as if this day is inherently somewhat more special than any other day. It's another day. But what it is is an opportunity for us to reflect upon what Christ has done for us and to be renewed in our understanding and our excitement for the salvation that we have in Christ. To remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to remember the very foundation of who we are. The very foundation of why we do what you do. Why do you do what you do? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Why do you tell others you do so because He's risen? You do so because there is something different about Christ. There is a truth that is found in none other. And that's why we spend our time on a day of memorial to remember what has happened and to remember why it matters. To remember why it matters is to remember how it ought to affect our lives even today. So we're going to consider today four effects of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how those effects touch us and what it ought to mean for you and I today tomorrow, and for as long as the Lord grants us life and breath upon this earth. Four effects of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is risen. Risen why? Well, number one, He is risen, you see, to overcome. Jesus Christ is risen to overcome. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives what we call the great treatise on the resurrection. He teaches, it's the most comprehensive teaching we have in the Scriptures on the resurrection, why it's important and what it means for us. When Jesus Christ died, as we talked about last week, our message was all about Jesus Christ's death on the cross last week. When He died, He made provision for every man to be freed from the death sting that sin holds over us. Remember we talked about the serpents in the wilderness and the brazen serpent and that bite of the serpent which could be cured if they would look upon the brazen serpent and live there from the book of Numbers. And as we considered that, we recognized that God has made provision for all men to be freed from the sting of sin. But the true victory over sin, the true victory over death, was secured on the day when Jesus Christ rose 
from the dead. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 16. Much of the the text will be on the screen behind me. If you do want a Bible and you don't have one today, you'd like to turn with me. There are some on the table, my back right, your back left, if you'd like to go get one. Uh, But uh, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, empty. Ye are yet in your sins. He literally says, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then you are still dead in your sins. Your salvation was incomplete. It means very little. Last week, we began our time together with Romans chapter 4, verse 25, which told us that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. That word justification is a legal term. Literally, that God looks at Jesus Christ and He declares us legally righteous, not because we're innocent, not because we have not sinned, but He declares us legally righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Scriptures tell us that when He was raised, He was raised for our justification. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then the enemy which mankind's sin ushered into this world, death itself is still undefeated. The enemy is undefeated if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Death is still the conqueror. And if death is the conqueror, then we're hopeless. We're hopeless. If death retains its power, you and I have no hope. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 23, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ at the first fruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. Jesus Christ is called here the first fruits from the dead, secured, uh, securing our eternal life. That means that He was the first one to rise. He was the first one to receive a resurrected body. He was the first one to rise from the dead into an eternal body. You say, well, pastor, other people rose from the dead. We see in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ even rose Lazarus from the dead before His death, yes. But they rose back to mortal bodies. They rose back to physical bodies. Jesus Christ rose unto an immortal body. The first one to receive the immortal body that He promises, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will receive as well. So that death has no power over you. Everything that was lost in Adam, the day that Adam rebelled against God and eating of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, what Adam yielded on that day as he rebelled, and mankind fell into sin and truly became knowledgeable of good and evil, became knowledgeable of their own sin. The curse entered this world. Death and suffering and evil. Not, not God. God didn't bring death and suffering and evil into this world. God made the world and, and when it was all made, He said, this is very good. He said, this is perfect. It was mankind's rebellion that brought death and sin and suffering into this world. When you look out and you see people dying in their poverty, dying of cancer, people that get in car accidents and die, and you say, how could a good God do such terrible things? It's not God. God didn't bring that into the world. We did. Our sin brought that into the world. Our sin brought death and suffering and rebellion and wickedness into this world. 
in fact, the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that that's why Jesus Christ was sent. Because in Adam all die, so in Christ, in Jesus, the second Adam, all can be made alive. Jesus came to undo what our sin had already done. Jesus came to reverse what Adam had done. Do you see God's plan through the Gospel? When Jesus died on the cross, He completely submitted Himself to the will of God the Father. He bore our sin. He endured God's wrath for us. God poured out His wrath so that 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, we've heard it a lot lately, He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When Jesus was raised again by God, He claimed authority over death. He claimed authority over sin, securing for Himself the authority then to raise us from the dead as well. And so as we continue walking through 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 and 57, we'll jump ahead and say this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. To accept Jesus Christ as your Savior is to die to yourself, to your own ability to save yourself, to your own perceived goodness, to any capacity that you have in and of yourself to get yourself to heaven, to earn your way to heaven. The Scriptures tell us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no amount of church attendance or church giving. There's no amount of good works There's no amount of anything external that can get you earn your way to heaven. When we stand before God, nowhere in the Bible does it say He's going to weigh our good works against our bad works and if our good works outweigh our bad works, we'll make it in. The Scriptures tell us that there's nothing that we could do, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but that Jesus Christ did what we could not when He he died on the cross for our sins. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Scriptures say you become born again. Promise that one day you will be raised to life where you will live with God in His presence forevermore. The Scriptures tell us to those that do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, that have not placed their full faith and trust in Jesus to be saved from their sins, will spend an eternity separated from God in an eternal place of torment called hell. Place of burning in place of spiritual separation. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior this morning, death has no sting. Death has no victory. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, the grave has no power over you. For the born-again Christian, to die is not the end. To die is the beginning. To one who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has accepted Jesus Christ... To die is simply to cross the threshold of this life and enter into the joy and peace of life eternal. For us, to die is to enter into the joy of our Lord. For us, to die is to end the struggle with our flesh, the struggle with sin that pervades this world, and to enter into a place of eternal rest. It is not death 
for the believer to die. It is simply a step. Jesus was risen to overcome death. He was risen to overcome hell, not only for Himself, but for every man, for every woman, for every child who places their faith in Jesus Christ. So rejoice this morning if you have accepted Christ as your Savior. Rejoice this morning if you have been born again. Rejoice this morning if you have repented of your dead works and exercised faith toward God, for you know that He is risen to overcome death and hell. He's risen to overcome. But it's more than that. Jesus is risen, secondly, not just to overcome, but risen to prove. His resurrection proves the truth of His claims. His resurrection proves that what He said is true. Jesus made some pretty strong claims in this life, didn't He? If the Bible is what it says to be, which is the Word of God, and if the Bible is true, which it is, then Jesus made some pretty serious claims. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be able to offer forgiveness of sins. He claimed to be able to offer eternal life. He claimed to have authority over the kingdom of heaven. He claimed to be eternal in existence. He claimed to be the creator of everything that is. Now, either the man is who he says he was or the man was a lunatic. There's no in-between. You can't just have Jesus Christ as a good man or a good moral teacher. The man claimed to be God. Either he is who he says he was or he was a raving lunatic. How do we know? How do we know which is true? Well, if Jesus had made all those claims, if He had done all those great things and those miracles and He had been put in the grave and He was still today rotting in a grave and the rest was history, then His claims would have amounted to nothing. If He is still in the grave today, if He did not rise from the dead, then everything that He said is useless. What good is a dead God? He claimed to be God. He claimed to have power over eternity. If he's dead and in a grave, then he's a lunatic. What good is a dead Redeemer? Maybe that generation would have benefited from his good moral teaching, but a dead guy can do nothing for me 2,000 years later. See, but Jesus isn't dead. The grave is empty. The tomb is empty. If Jesus was killed but rose from the dead and lives eternally, then everything about His message changes. Then the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead was the day that everything He said in His life was verified through His resurrection. Produce the body of Jesus and everything that we hold to be true is empty. Produce the body of Jesus and we can just go home right now and never come back but produce only an empty tomb. And that empty tomb verifies that I can place my eternity in the hands of a living Redeemer. Produce only an empty tomb and Jesus' message takes on an importance that is above any triviality of this life. Produce only an empty tomb and the weight of the eternal immediately overshadows everything else. And we today testify to the reality that the tomb was empty. The tomb is empty. That no one has ever in history been able to produce the body of Jesus Christ because there is no body to produce. Because He's not dead. He is alive. He was seen of witnesses. And He sits at the right hand of the Father, ever living to intercede. We'll get there in a moment. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Literally, that His resurrection from the dead is what proves that He was and is the Son of God with power. In Acts chapter 13, verses 30 through 33, Paul is speaking to the Jews in Antioch and he says this, God raised him from the dead and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Jesus Christ was declared to be the all-powerful Son of God, the eternal, all-existent God, the day that he claimed victory over death, claimed victory over sin, claimed victory over the grave. He's risen. He's risen. He is seen. He was witnessed. God placed His stamp of approval on everything that Jesus said and did when He raised Him from the dead. The empty tomb means our faith is not a maybe. means what I am telling you today is not a maybe. It's an absolutely. The empty tomb means God was 100% pleased with the ministry of Jesus Christ. And if we are in Christ by grace through faith, then God is 100% pleased with us through Christ. See, He was risen to overcome, overcome sin and death and hell. But He was risen to prove, prove the validity of His message, prove who He is and who He claimed to be. Third, He's risen to intercede. He is risen to intercede. Jesus rose from the dead. And in the Old Testament, the high priest was responsible to intercede between God and the people. Yet before the priest could stand before God and give an offering, a blood sacrifice to cover the people's sins, he had to first give an offering for himself. He had to atone for his sin before he could atone for anyone else's sins. For a sinful man to intercede on behalf of another sinful man means that the process of atonement must be continual. That the man interceding has to intercede for himself, then for others. But then he's going to sin again. So he has to again intercede for himself so that he can intercede for others. And it is a continual and frustrating process of intercession because the man doing the interceding is just as sinful as the man or woman he's interceding for. So Hebrews 7.19 tells us this, The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of a, in of a better hope did by which we draw nigh unto God. The system of the high priest, intercession and keeping of the law had no capacity to give perpetual perfection, true atonement to those that were in that system. It was nothing but a frustrating cycle. But skip ahead in Hebrews 7 to verse 22 and see what we find. Verses 20 to 25 say this in Hebrews 7, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Because Jesus is eternal, his priesthood doesn't change. Because he is sinless, his priesthood takes on a brand new power. And so you have an eternal, sinless priest. What does that mean? Well, it says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. 
that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. See, because Jesus Christ is eternal, and because He is sinless, and because He died on the cross, and because He rose again, He has the authority to offer you eternal life. And not just a temporary atonement for the sins of today, but the sins of yesterday and tomorrow because He ever lives to intercede. He's standing on the right hand of God, perpetually standing between your sin and God, between you and God. Jesus was the perfect atoning sacrifice, playing the role of the Lamb who was slain to cover our sins when He died on the cross. But His ministry doesn't just end at being the atonement. He is also our great High Priest, the One who stands between us and God actively, daily, moment by moment, standing between us and God's wrath as a living testimony of the atonement uh, that He made for every man, every woman, every child who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's a living Redeemer. He is a constant source of intercession because He is risen. The day Jesus rose from the dead, He became that intercessor. And the day you believed on Jesus Christ to be saved, He became your intercessor. You were clothed in Christ's righteousness so that when God sees you, He sees the atoning blood of His Son. He hears His Son say from His exalted position at the Father's right hand, I have purchased that child with my blood. He's not guilty. Truly, as Romans 4.25 tells us, He was indeed delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. Risen to overcome. Risen to prove the truth of His message. Risen to intercede on our behalf. Fourth and finally, He is risen to return. He is risen to to return. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. As believers, we cling to the hope of the life that is to come. This life, for all of its beauty, there's a lot of beauty in this life, there's a lot of joy in this life, but we've talked about it already, for all the beauty and the joy in this life, this life is indeed filled with much pain, isn't it? Much suffering. My daughters were pretty sick this week. It was a tough week. It's terrible to watch your daughters go through an illness. Your children. It doesn't just have to be your daughters. It's terrible, isn't it? When your children are sick. Isn't that, isn't that the worst feeling? It's worse than when you're sick. To, to feel helpless to help your children, especially at that young age. That pain and that suffering. You read it on the news every day. The people dying. People suffering. There's sin all over, isn't there? And we see the devastation of sin in people's lives on a daily basis. How their poor choices, how sin has consumed them and is driving them toward ruin. Even as believers, still sinful, still struggling with our flesh and struggling, contending against sin in this world. People mocking us for our faith, rejecting us for our beliefs. All around the world and probably sooner than later in this country, even Christians will be running for their lives from oppressors who would seek to destroy us. What keeps us going? 
in this present life? What keeps us persisting day after day in this life of suffering and pain and difficulty? Well, what sustains us is the knowledge compelled by faith that the sufferings of this present time pale in comparison to the glory that's coming one day. That the weakness and the pain and the trials and the difficulties and the persecution and the suffering can't hold a candle to the joy and the peace and the contentment that will be found in the presence of our Lord one day. So Paul continues in Romans 8, verses 19-25 through 25 to say this, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. The whole world is agonizing in pain and suffering and sin. Even we as believers are agonizing in pain and suffering and sin. For we, he says, are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what does he get hope for? In other words, we're saved by faith, not by sight. If we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Hope, the earnest and joyful expectation of that which is to come. Jesus rose from the dead to return one day. That's what he's saying. We are saved by placing our faith and trust in a living Redeemer and the reality that He's coming back to redeem us one day even from this life. Jesus rose from the dead to give us hope. Hope is the dawn beyond the darkness. Hope in a place where there is no sin to devastate our lives. No death to take our loved ones away from us. No deception or manipulation to leave us in confusion. That's the hope that we have for one day. All of this because there is coming a day when the clouds will part, when a trumpet will sound, and the living Redeemer, He who has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, will descend again and take His children home. The dead in Christ shall rise first, the Bible says, receiving their resurrected bodies, fitted for an eternity of joy and of delight. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, receiving our resurrected bodies, joining them, meeting them in the clouds and the Scriptures say, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Because He lives, we shall live too. He's coming again. All of these things happened on one morning some 2,000 years ago when a man named Jesus Christ was risen from the dead by the power of God the Father. But the effects of that day continue to the present. That is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday yet today. That is why for the past 2,000 years the church has always celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's not just about a day 2,000 years ago. It's about what that day means for us today. We glory in our risen Lord. We rejoice in the salvation which His victory secures for us. And as we close today, I speak to two different groups of people. 
the first question I ask is the most important. Have you received the salvation that Jesus' death and resurrection purchased? We speak of Jesus' blood covering the sins of all men. We speak of the promises of the resurrection and the life through His name. But it's not enough just to have that knowledge up here. It's not enough just to know that Jesus is God. Just to think that He may have risen from the dead. Just to even understand that He did rise from the dead. Jesus submitted Himself to the will of the Father when He died on the cross. To be saved, for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior is not just about you having head knowledge of what God has done. It's not just about you thinking that maybe this is true. It's about you submitting yourself, completely giving your heart over in faith to the truth of God's Word, repenting of your dead works, saying there's nothing else that can get me to heaven. My good works can't get me to heaven. Baptism can't get me to heaven. None of those things can get me to heaven. Only placing my faith in Jesus Christ, placing my full faith in Jesus Christ to be saved from my sins can get me to heaven. The Scriptures tell us Jesus purchased a gift for us. And that gift was purchased for any man that will receive it. But if you don't receive it, it's not yours. Have you received the gift of eternal life today? Have you ever truly been born again? Is there a moment in your life where you have passed from death into life? Where you have said, yes, I place my full faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save me from my sins. Perhaps you sit here in this room today. Maybe you've even been coming for some time to this church and you are ensnared by your own sinfulness. You you sin, you love it, You've never been convicted of it. And today you realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Jesus died and rose again to free you from your sin. Will you come to Him? Will you flee to the cross? Will you seek the risen Savior? Will you confess Him as Lord? Will you accept Him as your Savior today? Perhaps you sit in this room today and you're friendless. And you need a friend. someone to go through this life with, you're lonely. Well, Jesus Christ says that He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you fellowship with God the Father, a fellowship which will not change. Jesus died and rose again to be the friend to you that no man ever could. Perhaps you sit in this room today and you're just riddled steeped in guilt or fear. Jesus died and rose again to bear your guilt. He rose and He died and rose again to relieve you of your fears. God loved you enough to send His only Son to die on the cross for your sins, then raised Him from the dead, and He did it all for you. Have you accepted that love? Have you received Christ as your Savior today? If you have not, may I plead with you, would you do so today? It is appointed unto men once to die, the Scriptures tell us, and after this, the judgment. Every single one of us will die. You can't cheat that system. Maybe sooner, maybe later, we could walk out this building today. You could be hit by a car. You could get... um, have a heart attack. Something could happen. 
you could die today. If you died today, if in just a few moments you died and stood before the Lord, would you be right with Him through Christ? If you cannot say with 100% certainty, yes, Pastor, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I have accepted Christ as my Savior. If I were to die right now and stand before God, I know that I would be right before Him through Christ. If you cannot say that, would you make today the day? Would you, right there, silently in your seats if you'd like, tell God that you know you're a sinner, that you know that your sin has separated you from God, that you accept God's gift of eternal life through His risen Son, Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I just don't, I, 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 I'm not there. I don't quite understand. I need to understand this a little bit more. Can I, can I ask you another favor? Would you come see me after the service? so that I can sit down with you, open a Bible, and show you what the Bible says about salvation, help you understand this is not a decision to take lightly and this is nothing to play around with. This is eternal life. This is, this is eternity. There's no second chance on the other side of death. Would you come? And I can open a Bible or you know, young lady, I can put you with another lady and she can open a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're on the way to heaven. What, what I'm asking today is if you are not 100% sure that you're right with God through Christ, would you get right today? Scriptures tell us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will call upon His name, if you will accept salvation on His terms, the Bible says that those that come to Him He will not cast out. I speak finally to you who are believers today. For we who are in Christ. Last week we spoke of the need to live a life that is worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We spoke of the need to tell others of the salvation that we have found. I'm not going to reiterate those concepts today. I talked with them last week. Today, to you who are in Christ, can I just, for the last few moments, be an encouragement to you? Romans chapter 8, verses 37-39 through 39 says this, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Today we observe a joyful memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The power that Jesus has to redeem us from our sins. And Paul teaches us in Romans 8 that there is absolutely nothing after you have accepted the love of God through Christ that can separate you from Him. Nothing on this earth, nothing in the life to come, nothing in the, in, in the world that is unseen, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You are His and He is yours. And that is why we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the hope and the delight that comes in the security of knowing that because He's alive, we will be too. This week we echo the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. That we are more than conquerors through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we are inseparable from God's love through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. He is risen indeed. He has overcome. He is coming again. And if you are His child, rejoice. 
Rejoice. Rest in hope. Serve Him in love and joy in your salvation. Let's pray together.